0: Bearing Witness, part of the Racial Reckoning Project, is a reflective dive into the week's events unfolding in this season of racial upheaval and, we hope, change. Each week, we will compare notes from the week's events, connect the dots to past and present experiences and racial patterns in America, and connect with community members from many different perspectives who are themselves trying to make sense of this moment. I'm Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora,
1: And I'm Georgia Fort, an independent journalist.
0: This is for the ones who survived America by any means necessary, and the ones who didn't. This is for the undeniable, the ones who scored with chains on one hand and faith in the other. Kwame Alexander in The Undefeated. With the jury seated in the trial beginning, attention will now turn towards the arguments and trial procedures that many of us will be viewing in depth for the first time. Now, as we inevitably end, despite our deepest attempt not to get our hopes up, peek at the possibility that there will be some level of accountability for the actions on display in the videotaped killing of George Floyd, We see yet more video of violent encounters with officers drawing our attention to the daily struggle for a nation that works for us. With the frustrations we will encounter when arguments begin, and one thing is clear, we will need our healers. Those in community who hit the ground when wounds are made to remind us of who we are as a people and to invite us to connect through our shared stories. This episode, we will recap with Miss Georgia and engage with two of our community healers, Miss Rose McGee of Sweet Potato Comfort Pies about her work utilizing the sacred dessert of our culture to invite us to heal, and Miss Kimberly Handy Jones, whose son Cordell Handy was killed by St. Paul Police in 2017 and is the founder of Mother's Banquet and donates grave markers to other families whose loved ones have been lost to police violence. Well, Ms. Georgia, let's recap this week. I know we get a little bit of a break before uh, the actual um, trial proceedings begin, now that the jury's been seated. And of course, new developments and encounters with police officers week. Lots to talk about, Miss Georgia. What do we need to catch up on?
1: Well, I think that you hit the nail on the head in just uh, you know touching on that video that surfaced, that reignited concerns about police brutality and excessive use of force by police in Black and brown communities. Uh, I thought that, you know, after jury selection wrapped up, we were going to have a few days to take a pause. But yet and still, community leaders were in the streets demanding that uh, another officer be fired and demanding that uh, we see true change here in the Twin Cities area. And so it was very interesting, Anthony, when that video surfaced uh, because it kind of fell in my hands before it hit mainstream media, before the mayor and the chief of police had a chance to address it. And so we were faced with a tough decision on how to report about it if we should report about it. And uh, I felt that it was important to amplify this moment that happened in North Minneapolis to some of our Black youth. And the reason being is because, you know, this trial is very symbolic of uh, the changes that we're hoping to get in policing. And so the fact that here we are, we have this pause, we have this moment to take a breath, But instead of being able to take a breath, we are reminded of the very reason why we're here in the first place. And we're seeing that, you know, the Minneapolis Police Department is very much so in the same condition that it was when George Floyd was killed. That not much has changed. And so we have yet to see, I know that uh, the chief of police uh, said that this you know situation is under investigation as did the mayor so we'll see what comes of it but uh there's no doubt in my mind that um you know more change is needed in the Minneapolis police department
0: and so <laughs> this is this is a continuation of kind of some of the themes that we've been talking about in terms of, you know, you don't necessarily get a break (laughs) in, you know, it it may be a moment to focus on this trial, but while this is happening, we are still fighting on multiple veins, these, these patterns that are continuing to come up that we are now having video evidence of. Uh, I'm curious as the trial gets started, how your Encountering or get what the reactions you're getting as you encounter you're engaged in community on the street level, just trying to capture this moment and capture the feelings of folks around. You know, it, it seems to me that there's continued fraying that is hap- that that is happening with folks having to constantly deal with not just what happened in trial, whether or not we'll get justice for George Floyd, but then these new evidence calling attention to the much larger arc that folks are trying to to pull forward. What are you hearing from folks in anticipation of the trial starting, given this new um, video, this new evidence of police violence?
1: Well, I think that the feeling keeps changing. You know, uh, people were hopeful at the beginning and then during jury selection uh, started to have lots of doubts. And now, you know, that same anger and disappointment has been reignited by this video, and if you haven't seen the video, in the video, there's a video that was taken Wednesday late afternoon of a youth being arrested. He was crying, a lot of bystanders uh, begging for police to wait for his mother to arrive on the scene, and uh, the person who was recording started to follow police because they took this young man away from the vehicle, away from the scene, and as the person who was recording uh, started to follow, they turned around and realized that another man was actually being slammed to the the ground and punched uh, several times. And Anthony, the the crazy thing that stood out to me is this video was recorded in front of Northside Boxing Gym. And I did have a chance to speak with the head coach there who confirmed that uh, no one who was having interactions with police were uh, part of their gym. But the reason why that's significant, this taking place in front of Northside Boxing Gym, we know one of the key witnesses who was appointed to be an expert witness that's taking the stand on, you know, uh, for this trial, he's a member of Northside Boxing Gym. And so I had a moment when I realized that uh, this chaotic encounter, this violent encounter with police was happening in front of uh, the location where a key witness is is probably is most likely to be. To me, that also uh, was problematic for many reasons. In addition to that, this took place on the fifth anniversary of this boxing gym, which mm. is a nonprofit organization that provides a lot of services to at-risk youth in North Minneapolis. And so uh, for many reasons, I think that there's a lot of layers there to dissect um, whether they're connected or not. Uh, So, you know, ramping up back to your question, Anthony, how are folks feeling? I think that there's a lot of tension. And Mm. I think that seeing that video was re-traumatizing for many of us in the community. And uh, I think people are starting to feel it in their bodies and... Mm. You know, trial starts Monday, but uh, folks are are feeling the the burden of this trial right now.
0: Hmm. What do you say to a population of folks who have constantly been witnessing a trial of this own nation in the actions that have been taken throughout history? Um, I'm, you know... Miss George, I'm reminded of the the correlation to boxers in our historical context. So we look at Jack Johnson, who <laughs> had to hold a person up just to get his druthers, and to know that if the fight didn't go on to a certain length, that he would be challenged in his own winnings, even though he dominated the entire fight. Um, you know, we 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 see folks constantly fighting to 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 Take a step forward. I mean, even the birth of of the Lord County Freedom Organization um, in, in Alabama, who organized black and white poor folks who were, were or had issues around literacy. Right. And we see that constant moving. And, and yet there was this, there was this perceived threat, and therefore surveillance and monitoring, um, who only had the Black Panther insignia as their vote, as the picture for their party, because the reading rate was so low in this area that you had to legally have a picture of your party in order so people knew who to vote for. And 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 that solidarity was interrupted. We see um, constant reminders of this of this push towards moments of hope, moments of justice, but we still have to hold a piece back because we've seen the pattern historically and then yet to have another reminder in what was supposed to be, and this is the thing that stands out for me, a break. We were supposed to have a momentary break before the trial starts and some of us get that break and some of us don't. We don't get to take that breath of break. I want to bring in our guests today. We have two amazing guests who are doing some healing work, as, as I heard you say, Miss Georgia. How it lives in our body. Um, I've seen. Um, I, I've seen the importance of of having to take those breaths and heal. And so I want to bring in Miss Rose McGee and Miss Kimberly Handy Jones um, to weigh in at the discussion that we've opened up here. Um, and I'll let I'll let them introduce themselves a little bit more as we continue to move our discussion. Um, we'll start with you, Miss McGee. Welcome to the show. Um, And tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you so much. I'm
2: honored to be on your show. I was just taking in all that you were saying and just feeling feeling the frustration that we are all having, right? I'm founder of um, Sweet Potato Comfort Pie. And as I have to tell people when I introduce that, we're more than just a pretty pie. We're more than just a delicious flavor that, you know, everybody recognizes the sweet potato pie, of course. But we do um, intentional um, dialogue so that people can talk about things that are pretty complicated, pretty complex, which is how the sweet potato pie tends to be. So that's kind of um, where we are. We make those pies and then people can talk about who they'd like to gift them to and why. And that's what makes it um, it's one of those layers. I'll leave it at that so Ms. Kimberly can um, share her introduction.
3: Well, I am the uh, mother of Cordell Quinhandy, whose life was stolen on uh, March 15th of 2017 by St. Paul Police, Nico Norman and Nathaniel Yantz. And uh, when my son's life was stolen, I knew that I wanted to look at other moms that circumstance was like mine, who had lost kids to police, uh, terror, and violence. And I began to just take off from the ground running. Didn't know what direction. I just knew I needed to see someone that looked like me, someone that I could identify. And I come from a... Big family. My mother had uh, 12 siblings, 13, including herself. And then I just, it would be my family all in my house and so many of them, but I just felt so alone. I just didn't see anyone that looked like me. And then I began to, uh, after i given my son his uh, home going, I began to travel and go to different states and stand in unity with other mothers and fathers who had lost kids to police brutality and upon doing that, I said, well, I would like to uh, do something in remembrance of my son, you know, to, I was at the graveyard one day and I was cleaning off my husband's headstone. And then I was, got to him and was cleaning his and and I was just crying. And it just seemed like God has just spoke to my heart and said, there it is. You're blessed, you know, you know where your son, uh, he's lame. There's mothers and fathers who, who are out there. They don't have that. They don't have headstones. They can't afford them because when you think about your children, you think that they're going to live to bury you. You don't think you'd be burying them. And so I could hear my son say, mama, make it happen. So I began to do the work uh to bring forth a foundation that gives out headstones. And a lot of people thought, oh, wow, this is a lot. It can't be done. We begin to seek out mothers and fathers who've lost children to police brutality. And we, the first year we gave two headstones and uh, it just kept growing and it kept growing. And we would have mothers and fathers from around the globe come and stand with us. It's, it's different. I haven't seen a foundation like it. I don't know if there is one. But I can say this, it is truly a blessing to be able to bless mothers and fathers uh with this, because it, you know, you you it's a little bit of closure. It's almost like putting your kids to bed. You want to know they've been bathed, they've got their pajamas on, said their prayers, you want to cover them up and make sure they got their pillow. So it's, you know, it's just a way of still taking care of the business. And uh, mm. I, you know, and someone said to me, how. Did you come upon this? I said, I wouldn't have never thought of it or even acted out on doing it. I said, I, it, it took that. It took losing my child to even be able to think about something like that. Because who thinks about, oh, you know, I want a foundation to give away headstones? You don't, not when you got all your children living, you don't think of it that way.
0: That's an excellent point. You know, I I listened to your story, and 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 I'm um, I, I have to pause and just and just think about what we are we are having to endure, the things that we have to come up with just to cope with being black in America. And the patterns that we see over and over again—the fact that we have a need for this type of act of of, of grace and service and mission and healing to the community—that that's even needed—and and, and i am curious for both of both of for everybody here, um, as you as we get ready for another attempt at moving forward in accountability. I'm I'm just curious how even this week's events, the selection of jury, the the surfacing of yet another encounter, I'm I'm just curious how what effect that those things are having on your healing work in community. What are the things that are coming up as a result?
2: Well, first let me acknowledge Ms. Kimberly and say I I thank you. I thank you for paying attention to the call that you receive, because that's what I say all the time about these things that come to provide hope in the midst of all this darkness and this horror. Something comes from somewhere that provides a level of beauty, a level of hope. And what you did is just that, you know, from your own pain grew this this, this, this thing that you knew somebody was going to appreciate. And that's, um, that's, that I call it, in storytelling, you know, we talk about call and response, Anthony. And I call it, just call, responding to that mm-hmm. call. Because with me and the pie, it was the same thing. I don't even like to cook. And here I am being called by this pie to make it. First of all, I can remember exactly when when it happened that I was called to start making it. And I was a young woman not knowing how to cook. And I left home from my grandmother's house in Tennessee, now living in Denver, married. And I just woke up one day, Sunday morning actually, wanting to make a sweet potato pie. Did not know how to do it, called my grandmother. She told me, I followed what I thought was what she said. And I said, can't you just give me a recipe? And she says, honey, there ain't no recipe, it's in my head. And I'm trying to figure that out. And that's how it is. It's It's in our heads and somehow it gets in our hearts and it just sort of hangs there until the time comes when we got to bring it forth. And so that first pie, I botched it up badly, but yet something was still tugging on my heart to go ahead and try it again. And eventually I did, but yet it would still be many years later. And that pain that I saw in the community of Ferguson, Missouri, in 2014 is what drove me to say, okay, I got to do something. We had just watched this whole madness with, with Trayvon Martin. And we saw this, 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 that should not have been that way that, that the outcome of that trial shouldn't have been that way. And now here I am uh, knowing good, full, and well (laughs) that we're probably going down this road again. When I was watching what was happening with, with, um, with With young michael brown, and and that's when I was compelled to do something. So I just loaded up thirty sweet potato pies in my trunk and drove down. But what i what I think about now and, and and here we are again, here it is almost a year later since the murder of Mr. George Floyd. And what's changed, really? What's changed really, other than people all over the world have stepped out and said, "Enough is enough. We've seen it all over the world. But I know that since the murder of Mr. Floyd in May, a year ago, it's brought something to to fruition for folks to say, it's time to get going. But yet here we are having this conversation because we know there is a very strong possibility that justice will not be served. And that's very disturbing. The conversations that I have had over these past few days, even today, there, it's very, very disturbing and unsettling to think of the possibility that is a strong possibility the way we're looking at it today, that justice may not be served the way it should be.
1: You know, and I couldn't agree with you more, Rose. I think when you brought up the point that the entire world was, was watching, they were watching Minnesota after George Floyd. And so many people have now considered us to be the epicenter of this global movement. And I'm always reminded, knowing Kimberly Handy Jones's history and knowing that she was creating this space for mothers here in the Twin Cities before George Floyd. Mm. I'm always reminded that we were the epicenter before George Floyd. As she was summoning mothers from all across the country who had lost a child by the hands of police to come here into this area before George Floyd. And when you think about that and you think about how George Floyd called out for his mama, the mamas were already coming here, you know? And so it it gives me chills to think about the correlation and the connection of that and uh, some of the powerful transformative work that Kimberly has been doing with mothers. And so I'm curious to know from you, uh, Kimberly, how... How have you been impacted knowing that you started this banquet for mothers uh, with very little media coverage, right, years ago? uh, No no mainstream media was covering what you were doing. Calling out killer cops, so to say, was highly controversial before George Floyd. How have you been impacted uh, and seeing that transformation from something that was highly controversial to now it's like everybody's on board and they are acknowledging we have a problem. But just a year ago, you know, people didn't really want to talk about this.
3: You know, Georgia, uh, for me, I just do what my hands are called to do by God. I just ask them to order my steps. And so that was the step, you know, to bring mothers, of course, from around the globe and give them an opportunity to feel love, to feel uh, that someone cares and that, you know, we can hug and love on one another and that you're not alone and that we have community members that would embrace us and care. But I just, I think about George Floyd, he hollered, he, he said, mama, 11 times. My son called me on the phone minutes before they killed him. And he said, mama, so that just really it uh it shifted my fight, it shifted my words. I had become very un- unapologetic. I was just traumatized and I had, had it over my head. It was, it was, you know, it's always close to home, but I felt like at that very moment it was in my home. And you know, I always talk to mothers and they say, well, right now the focus is is George Floyd. And I said, well, if George Floyd this is going to be the blessing that opens up the floodgates of justice, I'm in. I'm all for it because that's what we need. And our skin should not be treated as a sin. But I always remind them that George Floyd is the face of thousands that have went on before him and that we just have to stay the course. We have to keep our boots on the ground and we have to keep pressing forward these heinous murders to just keep happening over and over and over again. Like they're reminding Mm. us every day that they're going to kill black and brown people. We need to remind them every day that we're going to fight for the lives and to keep uh, black and brown people alive. It's just it's horrific. When I think about it, it just shakes my core. Because it. you think about George Floyd and like we say, the world has seen. But what about the ones that, like my son, and so many that were killed by policemen and the videos weren't rolling, the cameras weren't rolling. You know, And when I speak, I tell the community and I tell people, you have one of the most powerful weapons right there in your hand, in your pocket. Record them. Record it. You know, and then I heard you all talk earlier today about the young man who the policeman assaulted and punched. Oh my God. That was just, that was, that was hard to watch. That was hard to watch. But I said, I thank God that he's alive, but it's just yet another reminder why I will always keep my boots on the ground. You know, and, and you're right. Minnesota was, it is the epic center before George Floyd. Just as much as, was taken from me there in Minnesota. There have been some beautiful people that have breathed life right back into me. Mm. And you just never know where your help is going to come from, right? But what I found out in Minnesota, just know some help is coming. When it's time to do the banquet and give out headstones. And I tell you, it is a beautiful thing to see Black, Brown, and Indigenous people come together and put in work and make something happen. You know, and and that's the power that I see in Minnesota. Like with Miss Rose, the the sweet potato pies. Everybody needs some comfort food. Everybody. And, you know, we're just blessed to be able to be in in unison with one another. This, This is just really a blessing. And when I see, like I said, again, things like what happened to that young man, is yet just another reason why I will always have my boots on the ground, why I will always fight. Because I've, in the Twin Cities there, the the law enforcement has gotten really comfortable. Because why? They've been able to get away with it so long. I call it like they're, like they're common rapists. They keep raping and raping and stealing our children's lives until the DNA show up. And now you're caught. You know, and so I'm just I'm, I'm really skeptical about how this George Floyd trial will play out. Because the world seen it, the world seen Philando.
0: See that it, it's that. It's that sentiment that has been so pertinent in our history, although it's not given to us that way as we encounter it. But exactly what you said, Miss Handy Jones around our will and commitment to get there to keep and endure and be as as our opening quote from Kwame Alexander said we will be undefeated we will not be defeated that sentiment is something that we miss when we look at the struggle when we look at at what is happening in the in the in the healing work that you're doing for other mothers And for for Miss Rose, the healing, the work that you're doing, and bringing folks together using the sacred elements of that have become a part of our culture and a part of our exchange, it 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 is something that is often overlooked in the midst of all of the things that we see on the ground. And I'm I'm just so my curiosity here um, is how you are endeavoring to be you in these moments, I know that you're outward pouring of healing and that's going on. And I'm curious, and we ask this question of all the folks who come on, how are you being you in this moment for your own care?
3: Well, this this wasn't me. I can promise you this, March 14th, 2017. Mm -hmm. March 15th, 2017, when my son was executed, I died Mm. too that day. So I became another you a different you to me a better you a you that want to make difference want to connect and want to be able to bring mothers together and people together around the world and be a possibility that could happen that should happen and maybe potentially would happen so for me, my self-care is that. My self-care is, is my mm. boots on the groundwork, whether it be that I'm doing a banquet with mothers and fathers around the globe or whether it's I'm out there in Minnesota fighting the powers that be or here at home loving on my children like Miss Rose trying to cook a comfort meal and, uh, you know, sometimes just take that sabbatical because I had been running three years and nine months. I have to drive six hours. I come from Chicago, so... I don't have the ugly fortune because it's, it's, it's I don't consider it a fortune. Like some mothers and fathers who've lost their kids right there in their hometown. Whenever I would come to an event or angel version that a mother or father was, was given, I just get so overly whammed and I get emotionally caught up. And I begin to see that em- uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, and psychologically, I become tired. I got to take a sabbatical and I have to fall back for a few. So I left and I had been gone for like about two weeks and I got mentally, physically, emotionally, and psychologically prayed up. I got filled Mm. back up again. So, you know, and I know it's not the destiny, it's the journey. So uh, I need to be able to have my cup filled up in order to get back on that journey and you know, it's a saying that uh, Nakima and I—we were talking one day, and I remember she said, "It's uh, not a sprint; it's a marathon." I said, "Well, I sure <laughs> thank God I'm alone you just running."
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And Rose McGee, how are you being you in this moment, and how would you say that you are practicing self-care?
2: Well, similar, of course. The the energy for me comes when pies are placed in the hands of people and you can see how much they appreciate it. I think it was August, Ms. Kimberly, perhaps when all the mamas came from all over the country to Minnesota. And what I discovered was I cannot make all the pies volunteers, volunteers. And we made pies and got them out there to Bloomington where the mamas were that whole situation was an awakening for me too. And any mother, it's always on our hearts about our children every time they step out the door. And any mother over time, you know, we, we just start praying time the child leaves home till, till they get back. Even when they're grown, it, do, it doesn't change. But when I was there and I was just in that space for a moment because it was private gathering, but we were allowed to come in and bring the pies. I just, my heart just felt heavy, but then it felt uplifted because I was talking to some of them and they had driven just like Miss Kimberly was from everywhere or flown in. And they said, this is what gives us energy being together because we understand each other's pain. And with each of these pies that's made, there you know certainly there's the blessing with it but there's a reason for them and we know that and to see people receive them i i've never seen anyone who've not received the pie and feel like it's come from someplace special and i have the honor of um working with minnesota humanities in doing a project called how can we breathe and this was in response after mr george floyd had been murdered. And we did four part series. And the first thing we did was focus on the mamas. And we had these these women come in and and share from their heart their stories. Miss Marilyn Hill and Miss Princess Titus and um, Miss uh, Mary Johnson Roy. Each one of these women had lost their baby to some form of violence. But the remarkable thing is, just like we've heard from Ms. Kimberly, each one of them took their crisis, took their pain, took their grieving, knowing there was something else that they had to do. People need to be able to come together and have these conversations. They've got to hear each other. They've got to learn. So these convening people together in in, in dialogue so that they can learn more understand what empathy means if they don't get it and also understand how they themselves can become activated and move into the community and start working with the systemic racism that we are facing because that's the thing you know people do they want to wear us down that's why they, it's why stuff just keeps happening it's that, that little evil thing that keeps snapping at you it's intentional and my late husband William McGee who was a civil rights attorney. I can remember, and it was probably the last interview that he did before he became ill and passed away. But I remember so well, he was talking about warriors and how the strategicness of warriors, when you're out there on the battlefield, you know those who are on the front line, as soon as they fall, there's that next group that has to move right in and you have to keep that going and keep it going. And not give up. If that isn't enough, dealing with the trial, dealing with the anniversary of Mr. Floyd's murder, here we go with this whole thing around the killings of Asian mm-hmm. women and the the how Asian people are being attacked. Well, the indigenous can say this has been happening to us too, and that's true. But what? What's, what's what's happening folks that we've got to be careful about is that we don't allow the cultures to start becoming in conflict with each other and that's what we're seeing that is white supremacy and if we don't understand what that means and how to manage that then we'll be clashing against each other in a bigger way that that's what's been happening very broadly this week. And so there's a, there's much to do with a lot. Um, I pray. If I were a strong drinker, I would say, give me a Jack Daniels, I guess, <laughs> but that doesn't do
0: it for me. <laughs> so, Miss Georgia, how are you being you in this moment?
1: Uh, by staying in community. I think that Sometimes I hear people ask me, you know, isn't it e- isn't it emotionally draining to cover the trial and you know these stories? And for me, it's actually very empowering. And the reason why is because people like Rose McGee and Kimberly Handy Jones continue to uh, remind me, you know, that there is purpose in our pain and uh, remind me of our resilience as a people. And so through the process of doing interviews and getting to know so many amazing people in our community it, it's in those moments of of hearing those stories that I'm inspired and motivated to continue amplifying our voices because so often uh, our voices are not amplified in mainstream media and you know to to even add on to that I think uh, for me in in telling stories uh, there's there's purpose in that for me., uh, but I do think that, uh, as Rose McGee, you know stated, like we have to have balance. And even as Kimberly said, you know, having a season of rest. And so, uh, knowing that this trial is preparing to start, I have uh, tried to reach out for some additional support. So that I can have some balance, um, a couple days of the week, instead of having to be at the courthouse or you know streaming the the coverage, having someone to fill in for me, so I can go get a quick workout in and move my body and burn off some some tension and stay healthy. Uh, so I think that having balance is is very important. Assessing your workload, being honest when you need help. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I'm being me in this moment.
0: You know. All of your responses remind me of how important it was for four brothers to be in a room together after Muhammad Ali's fight, to challenge each other, to engage each other, for folks to announce new identities. We get Muhammad Ali out of that exchange. We get an exchange from Jim Brown making life decisions, but then we get a song. I was born by the river. In a little tent, and like a river, I've been running ever since. It's been a long time coming, but I know change is gonna come. And I think for me, as I listen to the powerful women in this show right now, kind of putting on a masterclass, the sermon's been given, the sermon cliff notes have been given, the testimony recap has been given. But it's a reminder to me that throughout history, from Ya Asantua, Queen Mother of the Ashanti Empire, who fought the British, that I learned from Miss McGee, all the way. To Kimberly Handy Jones, who's taking her tragedy and bringing comfort to community, to the deep sacred desserts and conversations and dialogue that you opened, Miss McGee and Miss Georgia. I watched you today at the community event, continuing to engage and capture what's happening on the ground. That is the thing that is continuing to inspire me to help me remember my breaths, to take my breaths, to have you do your work. Well, we end our show very specifically each time by a quote that Miss Georgia brought to me. Um, And so, Miss Georgia, how do we end our show?
1: In the words of Dr. Joy Lewis, may the revolution be healing.
0: Thank you all for listening to another episode of Bearing Witness with Anthony in Georgia. I thank our special guests, Ms. Rose McGee and Ms. Kimberly Handy-Jones for their wonderful, powerful words of encouragement as we get ready to continue watching this arc towards justice. You can find out more about Bearing Witness with Anthony in Georgia on racialreckoning.com. Mn.org. That's racialreckoningmn.org. Listen to all of the coverage by Miss Georgia and her team, all of the episodes of Bearing Witness and continuing just to stay connected in the ways that we will get through this for we are undefeated. Thank you so much for listening. All right, hold on, hold on. We always do this. The conversations before and after we record are just the best. So take a listen to what happened after we wrapped and it's a good thing I was still recording and that Miss Rose and Miss Kimberly allowed us to include this. Take a listen. Y'all y'all got me over here. I'm about to I'm about to ugly shout cry. <laughs>
3: Well, you know what Marvin Sapp say, if you see me cry, it's just a sign that I'm still alive. <laughs> come
1: on, come on. Oh, you're going on
3: the cry. <laughs> We're going you're to church now. <laughs> come yeah. on. I just thought about what we do together goes together. You know, I'm boots on the ground out right there. You know, I'm an hey, activist God. and out there fighting the powers that be. And I thought about it. I said, wow. And here she comes with her comfort food and her comfort love that keeps us going, gives us that extra oomph. We need that. We need that food to be able, them pies, to be able to get energized and keep going. And
2: you know what else? When when we took pies down to Charleston, you know, to Mother Emanuel AMV after the killings, it was someone oh. there who told us that um, those pies meant so much. Um, one of the persons said, yeah, we've gotten lots of money that has come in and that's needed, but getting these pies that people in Minnesota made and got down here to us. And I said, well, I don't understand as everybody's acting like these pies are gold nuggets. And she says, they are, because what you've done is you've given people a way to respond because people don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that's happening with you, Ms. Kimberly, people will donate to this cause because they don't know what else to do and now something has been in put put in place for them to do, and they
3: feel good about that. My grandmother used to say, God does things for a reason. And if I have to mm. be honest, <laughs> it's going to take a collective all. It's going to take all mm. of us, every race, color, and creed to come together and bring about change. Because it's just not affecting uh, Black communities or Brown communities. It's affecting all communities maybe not as a at a rapid rate as black and brown but it's affecting all communities and this really it just it it hits home and i tell people all the time you know when they take justice from us and it's just us then they activate just us to get justice we can do it we can do it but it's going to take a collective all you know it it's it sad me to see which uh uh, Governor Tim Watson needs to do something. How do you arrest 646 uh, peaceful protesters on the on the freeway? But yet, you I don't even call them white supremacists because ain't nothing supreme about them. You don't go over there and uh, and when Washington had that uprising there at the Capitol, you had all kind of terrorists and thugs and gangbangers and everything else, and they weren't peaceful. And you know what? Had that been black people, I I want to be clear to say. It would have been an eruption of blood. It would have been a massacre. And the fact that five lives were taken and all these other people walked away, that within itself will let you know about the racial divide. And I do believe there's two type of systems, a black one and a white one.
0: As I as I listen to you talk, right, the our history proves undeniably that when you, when you go back throughout our history and look at mob violence in the United States, um, it is overwhelmingly white, a majority of the time, all the way to, to your example in mother Emanuel, um, you know, being an AME church, I'm forced to, to study in detail with folks. And I was actually supposed to intern with, um, Reverend, uh, Clemenza Pinckney, um, And in my ordination process. And one of the things that I learned about that church is that's the church um, that Denmark VC was gathering a multiracial group of folks in community to address issues. And there were actually white attendees who were changing minds, which was what caused the threat and suspicion and mob suspicion to. Um, you know, there was never a revolt, right? There is no historical document that proves that what they were talking about was revolt. What they were talking about is bringing abolitionist thinking to the community, and they were winning. And then, all of a sudden, the white mob shows up and quote unquote, stops this insurrection that was never an insurrection, and they burned the church. And then another pastor came and built the church back. And when they built the church back, and I was just finding this out, just 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 the other day in in one of our sessions, that what they brought was food. They brought food offering to the church to feed the workers rebuilding that church, and that cycle that is continuing. And so it it, it makes absolute sense to me, Ms. McGee, that 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 your pies would have that effect here in the hindsight, right? In hindsight being twenty twenty. Because there's a cycle and a pattern that lives in that space, just like there was a cycle and a pattern that will forever live in Minnesota, because of the blood lost. And and, and you said it earlier, uh, Ms. Kimberly. You know we are tired of the of the price of American consciousness continuing to be the blood of black and brown bodies, black brown and indigenous bodies. Um, and so I think I think all of that is apropos. And I'm 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 just I'm just in awe and I'm loving the fact that that is continuing to happen. That that cycle of healing will continue to be so, and that we do it with food. I mean, it's, it's the first medicine according to our indigenous brothers and sisters. So I, I really appreciate y'all sharing your wisdom and your spirit and your love. I got, I got two more. I I already had auntie, (laughs) auntie mama, uh, auntie mama, uh, community miss, and miss, miss McGee. I feel like I have another auntie now and you miss Kimberly, just for the sharing of your wisdom and the breaking bread of that kind of word in this space. I thank you so much.
2: I just really thank you, young people, for what you're doing and your voices. And thank you, Miss um, Kimberly, for for all you do. And I know there's not a day that goes by that you don't think of your son. I know that. So just sending you, sending you hugs, sending you love.
3: Thank you, Miss Rose, for all you do. Loving us is food to our soul them sweet potato pie is just food to our soul. And, and I, I just appreciate that because, you know, any kind of act is a beautiful and a wonderful act from God. Uh, you know, when you lose a kid in that horrific way, uh, there's really no closure. And you often feel like, well, I'm not really worthy of anything or anyone. And every time I think that, every time God will step in, and show me that's where I am wrong. I'll get people like a Miss Rose or people like a Georgia Ford, you know, that come up into my life. And I and we t- I heard something about media early on in the conversation, and I really, you know, I just don't. A lot of mothers want that. They're out there. I'm not. I'm not so much media driven because I've seen how they twist and they turn and they take words and. They edit and they cut, they multiply and divide and subtract, and it just never comes out to be what it's supposed to be. And so for me, I've been able and been blessed and fortunate enough to watch myself through uh, Georgia, Nico, uh, King Demetrius Pendleton. I've been able to see myself through their lenses. And I'm so grateful because what we're doing and saying at that time, it was, you know, it's, it's live. So it's out there and it's our truth. Not our story, but our truth, and I am so grateful for people like them. And and I guess I just with the foundation and the work that it does, it it you know I Nicole I can't think of her last night, but from Star Tribune, she did a, uh, a a beautiful article, and uh, I was grateful. And uh, we had a conversation. And I told her, I said, do you have kids? And she says, no. I said, well, let me tell you something. I'm fighting for your seeds that ain't got here yet. I said, and I need you to know that. You know, so I just don't. I just don't do media very well because I don't, like I said, the police, they kill our children. Then sometimes the media will come in and they'll, it's an article written up and in favor of the police, their narrative, and then they kill the the character and integrity of our children. And so then we have to humanize them again. And uh, so this was the first article that was done on me in a long time from the media, because I'm just, everybody don't get my story, and everybody don't get to know Cordell's story.
1: I appreciate uh, both of you for taking time to uh, share with us. And uh, more importantly, I appreciate the service that uh, both of you have been providing to our community for so many years. Uh, it's deeply needed and uh, we're, we're deeply grateful for it. You, you both are making our community better every day. This is Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia, This show is a production of Racial Reckoning, The Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with KMOJ Radio and the Minnesota Humanities Center.